Hey there. Welcome to the show. Uh, you know what? I hope everybody is having a great Sunday. I got to tell you, um, a little bit of relief this week. Bank of Canada didn't jump the rates yet, but I'm going to be talking to Dave Butler about that. I'm pretty sure we can anticipate a rate increase at the next meeting of the Bank of Canada, and uh, we'll get Dave's take on it, of course. Um, I do want to talk to Dave Wilkes. He is president of BUILD. He's the Building Industry and Land Development uh, Association. And we're going to be talking about, you know, numbers. And there's a lot of skewed numbers in, uh, in the anticipation of how many properties we need. So we do want to talk about that. And for those of you that have joined me over the years, you know that I love doing a segment called Minutes with the Mayor. Well, you know what? I'm really fortunate. The Mayor of St. Catharines, Mayor Walter Senzek, is going to be joining me. And if you don't know a lot about uh, St. Catharines, make sure you tune in. You know, uh, he's a great interview and you can find out all sorts of amazing things about St. Catharines. But before we go down that road, um, I just want to give a, a quick notice to everybody. Uh, new release out of London. It's active. You can go to simpleinvestor.com. One bedroom units, fully managed, uh, making sure you get your rent every single month. Never have to deal with a tenant. Only two sixty nine nine. So if you want to do that, you go to the simpleinvestor.com or you can follow me on Instagram, the simpleinvestor1. So, uh, but a lot going on in the news, and I got to tell you that some of these reporting agencies are getting a little bit long in the tooth with this whole bubble thing. You know, I, I, I'm getting a little bit tired of it. I get, I, I'm really getting tired of it that where people are going saying the bubble needs to burst twice or maybe three times so we can get to affordability. You know, so let's let's just let's go backwards by eight to ten years. People that have bought over the last eight years, you know, when, when we see reports like that, they're basically saying, yeah, you need to kiss, kiss away any appreciation you got and actually lose money. And so... The narrative of real estate has been going this way for some time, and it doesn't help that when we see, you know, certain properties get 100 offers on them. And of course, you know, the price that it ends up getting is actually market value. That's the way the world works. But the big picture right now is the fact that we have no inventory. And I know so many of you are getting tired of me talking about no inventory, but we really don't. I mean, when the supply is down to barely 10 days, it tells us that, you know what, there's a reason why you know, these prices are rising. And there's also a reason why we don't have much inventory right now. You know, we got to take a look at the fact that, you know, hey, it's been pretty snowy. Yes, we've got Omicron. A lot of people don't want to open the door to other strangers, you know, to come and take a look at their house. So, you know, I think that that is not helping the cause right now. And I think we have to be realistic about the numbers and where we're going. So will interest rate hikes, will this, will this cool the market? I don't know. You know, um, I, I think it's 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 going to be a moving target. I think what we're going to find is that there are going to be the people that have been in the market for years, you know, had properties, you know, sold them, looking to buy another property and understand that the mortgage rates currently are so low that they just can't stay there. So the people that have paid three, four, five, six percent mortgage rates in the past, I think those are going to be our buyers. I think the people that are coming in first time, the ones that are sitting there saying, oh, but I can't buy anything over 2% interest rate, I think they're the ones that are going to struggle. But I'll tell you what, instead of me talking about it all the time, why don't I bring in my expert, and here he is, Dave Butler from BM Select, no stranger to the show. Hey, Dave, how are you? 
Very good, Todd. How you doing, bud? Always great to have you on. So I'm going to get right into it with you, okay? Um, Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklin came out and didn't do anything this week, but boy, did he make it really clear that we've got some rate increases coming. What do you think? Yeah, it was interesting, obviously, last week on the show, uh, you know, getting into the prediction game, uh, kind of, the you know, it, we really had saw some aggressive, you know, last couple of weeks talk about there being a quarter percent increase. Um, and as we know, I, I went on and said, I thought they might uh, go up by a quarter percent. So interesting to note they haven't done it. I thought in hindsight, when thinking about it, it really is a bad look to raise a quarter percent while we're still dealing with Omicron. Um, so definitely, you know, an interesting start to the year, but yeah, as you say, I mean, I, I would say the March 2nd, uh, bank of Canada meeting, that's almost a guarantee that you're getting a quarter percent raise. They're definitely going to want to, um, test the waters as they say, before going into the spring market. So Dave, I, I want to talk about the structure that people, when they're looking at mortgages should know. So a lot of people are saying, okay, quarter point so should I run out right now? and get commitments on mortgages, how long will it last? You know, can you talk to us about both the variable rate mortgages and a fixed rate mortgage? And, and just kind of give our listeners just a little bit of a quick explanation on, for both and when you should be looking at, you know, potentially trying to get some kind of rate locked in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, basically here in Canada right now, we have been sitting on the bottom of interest rates for quite some time, that being fixed and variable. Um, the fixed rates have started to, and we're starting to price themselves up through the bond market um, as early as probably six months ago, even a bit before then. So really what you want to look at here is two different type, types of rates. You've got your variable rate, you've got your fixed rate. The variable rate is always set based on what the Bank of Canada's prime rate is. So if the Bank of Canada prime rate is, let's say, 2.45, then whatever your discount on that, that is your variable. If the prime rate goes up or down, your rate goes up and down. With fixed rates, that's just a straight set rate for a contract, depending on the duration of the term, whether it's one to five years, you can even go more. And that rate is generally set through the bond market, completely different. So on one side, you have the Bank of Canada. Uh, They're the ones moving up and down with regards to the variable rate. And you've got the bond market pretty much dictating where the fixed rates are. Right now, today, someone's sitting in a variable rate and staring down a March 2nd quarter percent increase in their variable rate. I would say is there's really nothing to do. There's no panic. Um, if you thought the variable was going to stay where it was going to stay, that was just a fallacy. The, rea the, rea the, the reality is simply that we're going to get about a quarter percent increase, at least in this first half of the year. But I still think it's a very healthy rate. I mean, most people on variable rates, that's going to put them maybe in most people around 1.45, 1.5 will now move them up to maybe 1.7, 1.75. Again, very, very healthy rate and still lower than the fixed rates. That's one thing to consider. The current fixed rates are ranging anywhere from in the kind of two and a quarters all the way up to the two and three quarters. Um, so again, still a very healthy discount compared to the fixed rate. So Dave, you know, one of the things that you and I've talked over the years is timing. And, you know, now that we start looking down, you know, the, the bank of Canada rate, you know, putting a little bit of pressure and we start talking about, you know, that uh, looking at the variable rate going up a little, 
as as you as you alluded to, the fact is is that you know variable is much more attractive still um, than we when we take a look at fixed rate. But you know the one thing that we've had in and in, in, I, I you know I wish I could go back to every single March for the last like let's say eight years that you and I have been on air. And it's like, okay, we're waiting for that discount for the five year, you know, the banks get competitive for the spring market. Do you think if we do see some upward pressure, we're still going to see some of these discounts pop up because, you know, again, they're, they're in the business to get mortgages. And I think that, you know, we're going to have, I think we're going to have a hot spring market. So are they going to get aggressive and keep their, you know, their fixed rates in, in pretty tight? Yeah. So one thing to consider, Todd, is that generally speaking, and again, this is more of a cyclical trend that I have found. And I think most people that are astute can find of kind of notice this is that in December, January, February, March, there's less homes sold across Canada simply because of the winter. A lot of people don't want to list their home. No one really wants to get moving trucks and move, you know, in the dead of winter. So when you have, and the banks are aware of this, when you have lower amounts of transactions happening, the banks don't necessarily decide they want to fight against each other on rate. So what you've got is them kind of releasing pressure, letting their fixed rate sit at a point that they're comfortable with. And then what we've noticed is come April, come May, we really start to see them fight. And where normally they would take X as a margin, now they're going to allow that to decrease, take a smaller margin, and really fight it out for the bigger amount of transactions. Again, it's just something that we've seen over the last 20 years, very, very cyclical. Um, and the banks seem to be very wise to when they want to fight and when they don't want to fight. You know, it was interesting. I was on uh, with Jerry Agar earlier in the week, Dave, and they were talking about a property that was, you know, I, I call it Park Place or Boardwalk in Toronto. You know, there are some places that it's insane how many people actually come after the property. They, there was actually 100 offers on a property. And, you know, it comes down to the fact that, you know, you and I talk about inventory all the time, but 100 offers means that that neighborhood probably only sees a house every you know maybe a couple houses a year because they've targeted that you know that's where the market sits but we're at a staggeringly low inventory number right now we're, we're at almost 10 days of inventory which historically is about as low as you can possibly get in the resale home market you know again we talk about answers there doesn't seem to be any so what's going to happen well you know you you've indicated that we're going to see price increases i agree 100 percent. you know but where are we going to go with this marketplace at this time ah uh, so interesting i mean i think the truth is we got to get through this beginning of the year um i think inventory levels are going to stay pretty record low um but really we got to see what happens in the spring um i'm gonna base a lot of my 2022 um kind of decision making in terms of how the market goes based on how the spring and summer market really heats up um as we know more inventory will hit the market at that point I think that's going to be a telling sign for a lot of us as to how the rest of the year and even going into 2023 is going to look. But um, for now, I mean, it's always tough to gauge the year when you're in January, February, March. Um, so obviously keeping an eye on it for sure. Inventory levels, record lows. I mean, I've never seen this before. I've been doing this for two decades um, and never, ever seen this. So interestingly enough, I, I'm going to kind of hold and reserve till probably March and April, and we'll see the inventory tick up. And I'd like to see then how the demand starts to work with the supply there. It'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. Listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me this week. As usual, give us a quick update, obviously, with the Bank of Canada. Look forward to chatting with you in the next few weeks. Awesome. Thanks, Todd. Always a pleasure.
Thank you so much, folks. That was Dave Butler from BM Select. When I come back, I've got Dave Wilkes joining me, president of Build. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest, he's no stranger to the show. And I have to tell you, I actually joined him this week on a Zoom call. Uh, it's Dave Wilkes, and he's the president of Build, and that's the building industry and land development. And uh, Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Todd. And uh, thank you for uh, joining us earlier this week. I thought that was a great conversation we all had. Yeah, you know, Dave, I, 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 I felt, you know, kind of honored to be there because, you know, a lot of information flowing through a lot of the industry experts, of course, being the president of Build for these years, you know, you've been able to see, you know, front and center what we need, what's going on in the industry. And of course, being probably one of the biggest employers, at least in the province and country, you know, the building industry, it's amazing on uh, so many moving parts. And, and I got to tell you, the meeting that I attended with you this week it was um, it was a little bit eye opening because you know when we take a look at the numbers and this is something I want to talk to you today about but the numbers about the number of units that we require you know what had been anticipated it's amazing how far off they were you know we were joined by uh, uh, Mike Moffat senior director of policy and innovation at Smart uh, Prosperity Institute and. You know, it was interesting, his talk, I, I was actually floored. Maybe you can, you know, give us a little bit of a rundown on it. Yeah, and and uh, thank you very much, Todd, for the opportunity to chat about it. And you started that, you know, I've been I've been doing this job for a while and president of the uh, association and the, the sector that we represent, the industry and uh, represents home builders and developers, of course. And if I may, before I get into Mike's uh, conversation that he had, it's a very humbling job as well, uh, Todd, because you recognize, as you mentioned, the contribution that the industry makes to the economy. I mean, the, the number of jobs, the the building, the suppliers that we support, but more so just that we're building a fundamental uh, requirement, if you will, of housing. And and as I uh, look at the challenges that we have in housing, I'm I'm uh, I, I just won't give up in looking for solutions to some of the uh, reason that we're in this imbalanced marketplace and having the affordability challenges that we have. So what Dr. Moffat presented earlier this week was uh, looking at something called the growth plan. And the growth plan dictates how many homes get built, where they get built, what densities they get built. And, and although it doesn't regulate supply, it provides guidelines for supply. And the growth plan uh, projections are updated approximately every seven years. And what Dr. Moffat found when he looked at it, there's been a fundamental, the assumptions that it's been built on are, are not necessarily reflective of what the market is experiencing. And there, there's two key areas where the assumptions are challenging the outcomes of the model. Immigration has been consistently un underestimated. Uh, international students coming to Canada and then choosing to make the uh, the country their home long term has also been underestimated. So we have way more demand. And where we're also seeing is housing completions aren't meeting the targets uh, that the uh, growth plan projections are suggesting. So, you know, we're, we're beat from the start, if you will, because the, the densities and the numbers that are being guided through the growth plan um, just can't possibly meet demand and we estimate that you know we're probably 20 to 30 percent short of the housing we need in the gtha 
Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up, especially you know some of the moving numbers that we you had mentioned, you know, population growth, immigration, you know, students, and you know what we've experienced, and you and I have talked in depth about this over the last couple of years during the pandemic. There's also a shift, the mindset of ownership, where you know people that we would naturally attribute to being you know, uh, tenants, and they were okay with it, have now decided that they would prefer to own. And there is also that mind shift that I think that we're experiencing the last two years, which is putting more pressure into the marketplace with the lack of inventory. And I know, you know, and, and Dave, here at the show, one of the things that we do struggle with is that we, you and I are sort of like a broken record because we constantly talk about the lack of inventory. But when I saw the numbers, it was staggering because the anticipation of what we saw in these, you know, incremental years, you know, right going back all the way when Dr. Moffat presented it, you know, 2004, basically 2005 report, you know, coming up to 2014, again, looking at these numbers, and then we do a revisit in 2018, it's staggering how far they were off on where the demand lies and the completions. And now, you know, as we see the, the heat into the market, the desire for ownership now with also the increase in immigration, which was not anticipated a couple of years ago. Now that the you know federal government is taking the handcuffs off and saying, "Look, at, we need more people here in this country." I mean, I I just I don't know what the answer is, but I, I'll tell you, when you see the math the way we saw it presented to us, it's staggering. There's a lot there, Todd. <laughs> yeah, well, I, right. I, I'm it just giving I'm giving you what I can. So, <laughs> uh, and, and so. And, and, you know, um, I think a lot about solutions because what, what we at Build don't want to do is just complain and point out problems. We really want to work uh, with, with our government partners at the municipal and the provincial government to bring those solutions. And I will say, I'll, I'll give a, a shout out to the provincial government. They really have taken a, a serious look at a housing affordability. They, you know, they recently had a housing summit uh, with the, the premier and the minister of municipal affairs and housing and the municipalities to, to look for solutions. And, you know, the press reports coming out of that, I was quite heartened, Todd, that there was, you know, a seeming, you know, collaborative feeling or, or sense that we got to do something different. So you're right on a number of points that you raised. Uh, there is an increased demand for, for people buying houses. What Moffitt, Dr. Moffat saw is that we really, because we can't facilitate the demand because we have a lack of inventory within the city proper and the inner suburbs, we are really seeing a drive to to qualify phenomena where people are moving outside of the GTA to places like London and Woodstock and you know Coburg and beyond uh, to satisfy those demands. We actually had an out-migration of people from the GTA over the last several years as identified by Dr. Moffat, which you know has a potential to affect our overall competitiveness as a, as a, a, a regional economy. Inventory levels are incredibly low. We just released the numbers uh, earlier this week on uh, sales of new houses and, and inventory levels. They remain at very scary low numbers. And that's why I think as our uh, the numbers that we released from Altus this week showed average price of a new home was 1.8 million. And that really is simply a function of supply and demand. And to the broken record part of the uh, of the conversation, we have you know identified that it takes way too long to get projects approved, 10 to 11 years. There's not enough land designated early enough to build uh, new homes. The densities need to be improved, uh, you know, within the the urban core, uh, an area called the yellow belt because that's the color it's showing on. 
on planning maps, but it's, you know, within the Toronto area proper and Etobicoke and, and other areas like that, where you have land uses that made sense back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, uh, malls and, and other things like that. I'm surrounded by uh, some of them uh, here where I live. Uh, there should be a serious look at them and changing those over to uh, residential uh, or properties uh, because of the demand that you articulated, uh, Todd. So I really do believe that we have a system that was built, you know, for the 70s and 80s from population forecast to housing completions to approvals to land use to the way the government taxes new houses that just doesn't work. And we need a we need a really a revolution in the way that we plan and build housing. And I think that I'm, I'm more heartened than I've ever been that the governments that manage our housing supply um, recognize that need. Uh, and with the leadership we're seeing from the province, I'm very hopeful that we'll get there. Yeah, and you know, Dave, one of the biggest things I think that, you know, focusing on is the repurposing. And um, I did bring that up during the, the meeting. And, you know, I was quite surprised by some of the reaction that you know right now in the actual industry that if you take commercial out you have to be prepared to replace it so if we were to repurpose some of this commercial land we have to then make sure that it's getting built again when we see this attrition that's coming out of you know some of the workplaces more work at home you know those smaller workplaces i i was i was actually you know quite dumbfounded the fact that you know we have to replace and match the same amount of commercial yeah it it just doesn't make sense Right uh, to to bottom line it, uh, I think you know the pandemic has resulted in many shifts. Uh, most of them, not ones that uh, we had hoped for. Uh, but one of the things that's just changed the nature of work. It changed the nature of uh, you know retail. It's changed the nature of a, a whole bunch of things. And you know that yellow belt that I uh, that I referred to. And pardon me for using sort of inside baseball uh, terminology, but it, it is as simple as the color on the map. Um, we need to put a crowbar in it. And we need to, to really take a hard look of where densities can occur uh, to facilitate uh, the, the population growth that we're, we know we're going to experience. We need to make sure that the modeling of that population growth is accurate. And you know, one of the other things we talked about, Todd, uh, earlier this week is when governments are doing budget forecasts, as an example, they'll have contingency planning. They'll gather a bunch of private sector economists together and say, you know, what happens if interest rates go up or down? Or, you know, what happens if demand comes off? What happens if we have more inflation so that they can have a, a range of forecasts within their budgeting plan? We don't do that for housing. So I'm going to have you hold that thought because we've got to go to a quick break, but I do want to pick that up with you when we come back, folks. We'll be right back with Dave Wilkes, president of BUILD. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now, Dave Wilkes, he's president of BUILD. That's the Building Industry and Land Development. And Dave, just before the break, you know, we were talking about taking a crowbar to <laughs> the local municipality of the GTA and trying to separate out, obviously, um, you know, either land or buildings that can be repurposed. But maybe you can continue on our discussion from before the break. Yeah, I don't want to take a crowbar to the GTA, right? <laughs> and I, I want to be be careful that I'm not leaving your listeners and uh, and and I get invited back uh, uh, to the GTA itself. I'm a, I'm a proud resident of the GTA, but but what I what I was referring to, and I stole that phrase from one of my colleagues, actually, Todd. But you know, there if you uh, you you drive anywhere in, in in our great city here. You know, and there are uh, land uses that uh, made sense many decades ago. 
And as our population has grown, as we've invested in transit infrastructure, uh, there's many of those areas where uh, we probably need to, to reinvest in them, rethink them, rezone them uh, into residential in order that we can increase the supply to the market that in my mind is the ultimate way that we solve the affordability uh, challenges that we're facing for, for new home buyers. So uh, as we were talking about before the break, I really truly believe that, you know, to quote Einstein, we just can't keep doing the same thing and expect different outcomes. That was his definition of insanity, which, you know, I, I agree with. And we really need that evolution in the way that we, we look at housing, we bring it to market, we use the land intelligently uh, to facilitate more supply and um, rebalance the market. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you and I've talked about in the past, of course, is also the necessity to have tradespeople. And, you know, there has been a shortage. And I know that this is one of the obstacles that need to be overcome. And, you know, right now, you know, for us even to meet the the existing platform that's out there, the amount of building permits that have been issued, you know, I think we're coming up short, not just from a supply chain, but more so from a from a labor um, chain. And, and, you know, can you talk about that? Because this is, I think this is one of the big things that's facing the building industry. Yeah, it's a sleeping giant. Uh, there's absolutely no question. Uh, you and I, and, and many of the conversations I have as we talk about the industry, talk about how governments can improve the processes that they have to bring housing to the market uh, uh, and the right type of housing to the market more quickly. We've talked about this week about having more accurate population and housing completion um, uh, forecasts in order that we uh, plan uh, better and more accurately. But more and more, the, the lack of skilled trades is becoming a, a problem that, you know, is that third pillar that we need to address. And there's a variety of ways to do that, in, in my opinion. Um, as we've been talking about, there's, a, you know, uh, Canada is a very welcoming country. Canada is a, a country of uh, immigrants. And, you know, historically, many people uh, came to this country to participate in the, the building industry. I think there's a huge opportunity to, to uh, continue with that tradition and to ensure that as uh, uh, people are uh, uh, looking at Canada for a new home, that we encourage those with skilled trades to do it. But there's also a more fundamental problem, and, and it's one of um, image. And we really need to, you know, and I think there's a collective responsibility here between industry, government, media. The skilled trades is a great place to earn a living. And, and you know, uh, certainly, you know, sitting around the dinner table, I'm not sure how many parents with their children are saying, you know what, you should consider being a plumber or a uh, you know, a carpenter or an electrician versus more white color jobs. So there's an image problem that we also need to address. And we also need to address through uh, uh, and equip our post-secondary schools uh, to ensure that we provide uh, these skills to people that are interested. So uh, Todd, it's a problem that we can't ignore. It will be a limit on the ability to build housing. And we, we really need to take it seriously through both immigration and, and using that tool to bring skilled trades folks in as well as you know, encouraging people to recognize this as a career. There's nothing better than standing back at the end of the day saying, man, I built that and I provided housing for somebody and we need to encourage more of that. You know, and, and I think Dave, if possible, if we can get you know, either some of the municipalities or for, for that matter, the provincial government, not sure the federal government would step into it, but 
provincial governments being able to turn around and offer these educations either with some form of, you know, scholarship or some kind of, you know, I don't know if there's some kind of incentive they can do, but quite frankly, you know, I think that if we can get some of these trades and again, you know, one of the things I've recognized in this, um, in this, this, you know, current time is there's a lot more smaller independent contractors coming out because they realize that they can create a business. So this is the smaller electrical uh, companies, smaller, you know, plumbing companies. And, you know, they do very, very well for themselves, but they don't, some have a business experience and others don't. So I think there could really be, you know, a program developed to help people create their own business and be a trade. Right. And, and you've nailed it, uh, Todd. I, 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 I can't almost say it better than you did. And I think there's, there's more than there's more than just being able to understand the trade that you're uh, that you're proud of. It's you know how you run your business, how you market yourself, and you know build through our Renomark program. Uh, we're doing some investment in that for our professional renovators and custom home builders, where we are providing um, um, webinars for our members uh, to learn about marketing. You know, one of the big things, and, and we can't pick up a paper these days without seeing it, uh, the war of talent. That comes down to a war of talent in the skilled trades and in, in some of the smaller businesses as well. So one of the things Build's doing through the Renomark uh, program is helping our members understand how to compete for that talent. What are employees looking for? You know, it's often not the the salary as much as the development and the and the quality of life that is offered uh, through jobs. So there has to be a you know um, to requote Einstein, who I I'm not you know, suggesting uh, talk a lot about housing in his days, but we not only need to relook at the way that we plan and deliver and bring housing to the market. We need to look at the way that the the people that build the housing. Uh, are, are facilitated to join this industry and that uh, and that once here and if they choose to uh, develop their own business make sure that they're successful yeah you know one of the things that we've been following so far uh, this winter is the fact that virtually in the resale part of real estate there is nothing available we are at the lowest level of inventory and you know there's a there's a few reasons for it obviously we've been watching you know you know a few snowstorms that slows people down obviously omicron not everybody wants to put their property in the market for sale and again now if we watch you know some of these issues come up this is going to also slow down some of the new construction and how they are trying to achieve i mean you know the delays of some of these buildings is making it harder and harder for the actual industry and the consumer because they are here waiting you know with bated breath to get into that new condo or that new home and now it's going to be delayed is this something that we can mitigate is this something we can get through or is it just one of these you know actualities that it's just always going to be this way yeah and, and you know inventories are low in resale inventories are very low in, in new builds as well uh, the last numbers I saw for uh, uh, single-family homes, we were down almost to a month of supply. A healthy market's around nine months. So, you know, it is a it is a phenomenon across the uh, the market, Todd. Um, you know, I was challenged by a member of my family as who has uh, two kids in their in their twenties. You know, how how are they ever going to be able to afford a house? How are they ever going to be able to afford their dream of household? And, you know, I remember, I'm nowhere close to my 20s now, but I remember thinking that same thing. But there just seems to be less of a, 
less of a hope than there was, uh, as I recall, my, uh, you know, when we, my wife and I were buying our first home. But what I would say to those people uh, that are concerned about the issue you raised is, you know, this took us a few decades to get in. We have a, we live in one of the greatest and fastest growing regions uh, around the world. There is a commitment to solve the problem that that I've never seen uh, before from the industry and government and 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 union level that we need to get at this and solve it. But it's not going to be a switch that we turn. It is going to take some time to get out of it. And I think we also have to be realistic that we can't turn this around on a dime. And the challenges that we're seeing in resales, the challenges that we're seeing in new home builds, it's going to take a few years for that change that you and I've just talked about to work their way through the system. So um, I'm quite hopeful. I'm a positive guy by nature. I think the the collective will that I see is, is going to create that change. And I think right now, as we look at provincial elections in June and municipal elections in October, we're going to have a great debate about housing. And I'm hoping when we get to November, we're going to have a different approach to housing that does <laughs> begin us down the road of solving it. Well, I I like your enthusiasm. I like your positivity, Dave. And once again, I appreciate you coming on the show as usual. I look forward to our future conversations. And thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Todd, I'm a Leaf fan. I got to be positive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Folks, that's Dave Wilkes, president of Build. When we come back, we've got more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. You know, it's been a while since I've had one of the mayors join me. And as you know, uh, it, it's always a pleasure to be able to bring somebody on that is a mayor of a city or a town. And I'm really fortunate because my producer, Ian Grant, was able to reach out to the mayor of St. Catharines, and it's Mayor Walter Senzik. And uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining me today. No, great to be on the show. Great to talk about all the great things that are happening here in St. Catharines. You know, um, I don't know, uh, sometimes our listeners may not know how close, um, you know, actually St. Catharines is to the GTA. I mean, you know, I, I don't consider it a long drive myself. It's a very pleasurable drive to get to St. Catharines. But can you can you tell us a little bit about St. Catharines before we, you know, dive into the real estate aspect, you know, population, you know, some of your major employers. I mean, it, you know, it's amazing. I, I'm a huge fan of St. Catharines and maybe you can enlighten our listeners. Yeah, St. Catharines is a, a old city, surprisingly. There's a lot of folks who, who don't understand the, the history and how far back we go. And we go back to the, the, the late 1700s, early 1800s. And we have largely been a mercantile or industrial city for, for a long time and driven by both the Welland Canal and the opportunity to move goods through the canal. So we were very much a, a mercantile community and the the introduction of hydroelectricity. So we have one of the oldest hydroelectricity sites in all of Canada here in St. Catharines at DeCue Falls, which was started operation in 1890. And that was really the catalyst for a lot of the industrial expansion that took place in St. Catharines. And at, at one time, St. Catharines was one of the largest cities in Canada. And on Fortunately, or you know, as the economies go, we have maintained that sort of mid-sized city, and the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, was really the space in which the the new economy was sort of thriving. As places like Hamilton and St. Catharines and Windsor and other communities, we were 
our, our industrial base was, was getting smaller. But we also have Brock University and Niagara College, two outstanding academic institutions. And the transition away from the industrial economy that had defined us for more than 100 years has now started to be uh, replaced or enhanced because we still have, a, uh, honestly, Todd, we, we, in, in, in Niagara, we've got about 900 manufacturing companies. We still have a, a significant footprint of manufacturing here in the city of St. Catharines. But when you look at the emergence of other businesses that have moved into our community over the, over the past 10, 15 years, you're seeing you know, more technology-based companies, companies focused on uh, engineering and uh, construction businesses that are calling St. Catharines Niagara home. Uh, we have the, the satellite companies that are associated with the large financial institutions and, and accounting firms. The legal firms are here in the heart of, of St. Catharines. And we've really focused on redefining who we are as a, as a community, Todd. So in the last decade, we've opened up a 5,000 seat spectator sports facility in the heart of our downtown, right in the core of downtown St. Catharines, which the downtown itself has some of the, the, the richest historical architecture built on that that mercantile industry that was adjacent to the, the former Welland Canal that went through downtown St. Catharines so long ago. And we have the First Ontario Performing Arts Centre, which is a four theatre, thousand seat facility that brings in some amazing international and national artists to come perform in downtown St. Catharines. And we also have the Marilyn I. Walker School of Fine and Performing Arts built in a old, uh, old textile factory in downtown right adjacent to the Merc uh, the, the the Marilyn I Walker and, and First Ontario Performing Arts Centre and so those investments alone Todd were over 150 million dollars of of public investment into bringing our downtown back to life and as a result you know we just announced uh, about six months ago, a 30-story condominium that's going to be built in downtown St. Catharines. We've got another six developers who are in the stages of building condominiums and rental units. Uh, we have another 19-story condo that's broken ground and is coming out of the ground right across from the Maryland I. Walker and, and the First Ontario Performing Arts Centre. So you see this as the rebirth, if you will, of a city that has a long, rich history, but is being is being redesigned for a, a future forward community, one that celebrates and, and supports the arts, one that's built around emerging technologies and the the uh, adoption of, of new spaces in which careers can be established and places to live, work and play. And that's what St. Catharines is becoming. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've recognized, um, you know, when we take a look at the GTA real estate, during the pandemic, we had a lot of people migrate out of the GTA and towards areas like St. Catharines. Have you watched your population grow? I know you've had, you know, you've seen some incredible price increases in the area. I mean, I've always, I was always, uh, you know, amazed. I always said St. Catharines was undervalued when we talk about brick and mortar. And that's one of the things that, you know, I think there's good affordability. I think there's some wonderful homes and, you know, places that people can move there. But have you seen that noticeable transition from people out of the GTA? 
Yeah, it's in it. Honestly, Todd, it started probably two to three years prior to COVID. You started to see a upward tick in the resale value of homes. And so I agree, we were very undervalued and this was a great place to invest and find a home and, and start, start a, start a life. And it was accelerated because of COVID. What we've seen last two years was a, is a complete acceleration of that, that, that price index around housing. And so you're, you're seeing the, the average resale go up exponentially upwards of 38% increase in, in resale values. And you're also seeing younger people moving into the community. I think that's what I've noticed a, a lot more over the last four or five years is the neighborhoods that were were the neighborhoods that I grew up in. You know, I had four, I had three other siblings, my mom and dad. So, you know, we were the suburbia family that, you know, my neighbors, all my friends lived on. We played road hockey. We did all that stuff growing up. And my parents and their friends still lived in those houses and now you're seeing those neighborhoods become much more family oriented again meaning young families with kids outside playing basketball and soccer stuff that i hadn't seen in decades i'll be honest with you in decades where you saw that the the re, the return of the that that youthful dynamic that you know you see when you drive down streets and I've always said this, if you want to look at sort of the age of a neighborhood, go down any given street, and look for the hockey nets and the basketball nets and you know, the hockey sticks and stuff that are just kicking around outside. That'll give you an indication of how, um, how youthful that area is. I think if you go to any part of St. Catharines today versus four or five years ago, Todd, you'll see more young families. And that just means it's, it's, it's great for St. Catharines because that's the, the next generation they the next um, group of people that will be able to benefit from all of the investments that have been made and from the hard work that our older adults had put into building our community. And so you're really, again, seeing a, um, a renewal take place here in our community. So one last question for you, you know, what do you hope to achieve before you, the, the end of this term that you've got? Well, it's coming out of the, the pandemic. Hopefully the pandemic is, is, will become endemic. And that means we, we live with, you know, what the future of, of this virus looks like. And we recapture that momentum. And, and you know, there was a great quote in a, in a travel magazine that uh, Conde Nast uh, travel magazine put out. And it was um, the, 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 the hip urban, the hip cool city in the heart of, uh, Niagara's wine country, and they were talking about St. Catharines, and so I, you know, I, I, I have that quote printed off in my office because that was we had be, we had become that that cool hip city. Our downtown was vibrant. We had some of the best restaurants outside of Toronto, and I would say that were rival Toronto restaurants located on St. Paul Street in downtown St. Catharines. We have so much going on in and around us that others were finally taking notice of saying you know that is a cool city like you you, you know you, you had sections of hamilton the, the the james street renewal you had this sort of rebirth of of hips hip and cool in hamilton and we were the next we were undergoing that transformation where it was a a changing of identity 
And it was awesome to see the momentum. Like we were at we, craft breweries that were opening up in St. Catharines and, you know, just seeing these new, um, these new businesses, these retailers, you know, vinyl record shops back in downtown St. Catharines. We were seeing these things. And then for people to take notice outside of St. Catharines and refer to us in those positive ways. And then COVID hit. And so we had a tremendous amount of momentum, um, just you know, looking at condo developments, looking at uh, investments back in, in, in our downtown retail space, investments taking place in Port Luzi, which is our, our, our lakefront property, which is absolutely astounding. And Lakeside Park, you know, made famous by, by uh, Neil Peart from Rush with Lakeside Park, the song. And then COVID. And so over this, this next year, what I'm hoping is we work with our community as we come out of the pandemic to recapture that momentum. And because with that momentum, I, I think St. Catharines will continue to be one of those cities that people are going to point to and say, wow, they're doing something right. They have an energy down there. It's positive and, you know, it's forward thinking and it's inclusive. What, what are they do, doing that we can learn from? And that's always been my goal is to be that city that people can look at and go, we want to be more like them. And we were getting there. And I, I think we can recapture that coming out of coming out of this pandemic. Excellent. Well, Mr. Mayor, I greatly appreciate your time today. It's wonderful to see your enthusiasm about St. Catharines. And definitely I'll have you back on the show so you can give us an update. So thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Todd. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, I do want to thank my guests for joining me. Uh, Dave Butler from BM Select. Dave Wilkes, president of BUILD and the mayor of St. Catharines, Mayor Walter Sanzik. And of course, I can't make it happen unless my producer, Ian Grant, makes it happen for me. And I want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show. Of course, if you want to reach out, you can reach out to me on Instagram, the Simple Investor one And I will be back next Sunday at noon. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.